This morning we are beginning the last kind of final section of 1 Corinthians. And as we have been walking through 1 Corinthians, what we're seeing is Paul is addressing a ton of different issues in the church of Corinth. And as you see on the screen, as you've seen every week, this church is a dumpster fire, right? It is a mess. And so he is handling issue after issue. And he's already dealt with things like divisions in the church. He's dealt with lawsuits among the believers. He's dealt with sexual morality. He's dealt with abuse of communion. And then as we've seen over the last three weeks, he's spent a lot of time dealing with the abuse and the confusion of spiritual gifts. Now, at this point in the letter, I can almost imagine these original readers just kind of stopping and going like, gosh, are we done like, I mean, Paul's been laying it on them thick. He's been hammering them hard. And, and he's like, guys, can we just be done? And so remember, the original readers, they didn't have chapters, right? Like, they didn't, like, get to chapter 15. Like, oh, we're at chapter 15. It was a long, giant letter from the Apostle Paul. And so they're reading this, and he's correcting them. And I could almost see them getting to this point and just going, like, oh, my gosh, are we done? And if Paul was sitting there, I am, I am sure this is how he would respond to them. How, how would you evaluate your season? Uh, I think we ain't done yet. You, you personally, I think we ain't doing it. Marcus. I love the shoulder shrug at the end. That's the best, man. That's the best. But, but I almost imagine Paul looking at these, this Corinthian church saying, like, oh, my gosh, we are not done yet. We got some more to do. We got some work to do. And he's going to do that in chapter 15 as he's going to handle one more issue in the church. Now, all throughout chapter 15, Paul is going to focus on the topic of the future bodily resurrection of Christians. All right, I know that's a mouthful, but let's, let me say it again. He's going to talk about the future bodily resurrection of Christians. And if you're like, I've never heard of that before, here's what it is. All right, it's a Christian belief. It's what it's our hope. We believe as Christians that Jesus is going to come back one day, and when he comes back, he is going to resurrect our bodies and give us glorified bodies that we are going to spend an eternity in those bodies. And so you might be thinking, what's a glorified body? I'm not totally sure because none of us has one yet, all right? We'll find out eventually. But I can tell your glorified body is going to be similar to the one you have now, just minus the effects and the corruption of sin. And we're going to talk about that in deeper into chapter 15. But Paul says, okay, there's this issue in the church. And the issue is there was confusion. There was denial of the future bodily resurrection of Christians. And that's what Paul's going to deal with in this chapter. Now, the culture he was speaking into, the reason this was so important is because the culture Paul was speaking into, the culture that the church there found themselves in, was a culture that didn't value the physical body. They, they didn't see the physical body as something that was going to go past the grave. In this culture, they kind of saw the soul as being the thing that's going to last forever, but the body is just going to go in the grave and rot, and you're just going to exist kind of in the afterlife as some disembodied soul. But Christianity came along and said, hold on. God created our bodies, he loves our bodies, he's going to resurrect our bodies, and one day, yes, we're going to have souls, but that's going to exist in a glorified body. We're not going to be disembodied souls. We're going to have a body that will be glorified in eternity. And this was so foolish to some of them that in the book of Acts, we read that when Paul taught this, he was actually laughed at. He was mocked because they're like, ah, oh, there's no way these physical bodies are going to last forever. And so that thinking, that error has crept into the Corinthian church, and a lot of the Christians in the church, they were either confused, and some of them were just outright denying the fact that there would be a future bodily resurrection of believers. And so Paul's going to deal with that all throughout chapter 15. Now this morning, we're not going to cover all of chapter 15. We're just going to cover the first 11 verses. And what Paul does in these first 11 verses is he points us back to the gospel. 
Because he wants us to see that before we talk about our future resurrection as Christians, understand what gives hope for that is that Jesus already resurrected. That Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And because of that, we now can have hope in a future resurrection. So before Paul gets into what a glorified body is and how that's all going to work, he says we need to go back to the basics. We need to go back to the foundation, and that's the gospel. And that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul's going to do three things. If you're a note taker, I love you. I am too. I'm going to give you three points, all right? And they're not going to be like Jared with all the sand. I'm just going to be all over the place, right? But uh, we're going to talk about the nature of the gospel, all right? The nature of the gospel, the content of the gospel, and the effects of the gospel. So content, nature, and effect. And so let's start with the nature. And this is what Paul says starting in verse 1 of chapter 15. He says, Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul does a couple of things right out of the gate. Right out of the gates here in the first two verses, he does a few things. And the first thing he does is he wants to remind the Corinthian Christians of the gospel. Right? He says, I want to remind you of the message that I preached. I want to remind you of the message that you have received. Because he realizes, like us, they are forgetful people. And it's easy to forget the gospel. It's easy to drift from the gospel. And it's easy for them to take on some of the things the culture is saying instead of what the gospel says. And so Paul says, let me just draw your attention back to the gospel. See, we all need reminders, don't we? This is why you put reminders on your phone. Anyone just stick reminders on your phone all the time because you have no idea how to remember things? Right? Who are you sticky notes? Where are you sticky note people at? Yeah. So, so a lot, we need reminders, right? Like we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. And we remind ourselves of other things. Like you remind yourself of a grocery list and this thing you need to do at work. You remind yourself of all these things. My question is, when was the last time you reminded yourself of the gospel? Because we often forget it. And there's a phrase, I don't exactly know who said it. It's shown up in a few different books, but it's this phrase, preach the gospel to yourself daily. Right? We often think about preaching the gospel to other people. And that's, that's true. Like you should preach the gospel to others. That's a great commission. We're called to do that. But when was the last time you preached the gospel to yourself, right? Like when was the last time that you screwed up in sin and in repentance you preached the gospel to yourself to remind yourself what Jesus has done for you? Like when was the last time the crap hit the fan and your life has fallen apart and instead of worrying and stressing, you preached the gospel to yourself, right? When was the last time you did that? So you need to do that. And so here's what I want. I want to give you some application, right? I'm going to give it to you up front give you a little bonus application to start. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put in place some reminder to preach the gospel to yourself every day, right? Maybe it's a reminder on your phone, right? Pull up your reminder app. If you're an iPhone user, we know Jesus loves you more. If you're an Android user, I don't know what the heck you guys have on your phones, but put a reminder in your phone, right? Like remind yourself, maybe in the morning, maybe in the afternoon, middle of the day. I don't know. Remind yourself, preach the gospel to yourself. Maybe it's a sticky note, right? Like I said, some of you like sticky notes. Put a sticky note somewhere where you see it to remind yourself of the gospel. Maybe it's a song, right? We sung some great songs about the gospel this morning. Maybe you listen to one of those songs every morning to preach the gospel to yourself. I don't care how you do it and what you do. All I ask is this, preach the gospel to yourself every day because we will forget it and we often drift and we need that reminder. So Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel. But then Paul, looking back at the passage in these first two verses, he also says something very interesting to the Corinthian Christians that helps us understand 
the nature of the gospel. And this is what he does. He, he reminds them that the gospel is not just something they had received in the past, but it's something they are currently experiencing in the present. He says the gospel is not just the message you received and moved on from. He says the gospel is at work in your life right now, right? Notice Paul says, in which you stand and by which you are being saved. Not that you were saved, that you are being saved. Paul here is not talking in past tense. He is speaking of the present. He wants them to know. You didn't just receive the gospel and then move on. You received the gospel, and every single day you are experiencing that gospel as Christ continues to save you. So a lot of times when we use that word phrase being saved, right? Like a lot of times we, we ask people, Hey, when did you get saved? When did you become a Christian? When did you place your faith in Jesus? And and to an extent that's true. Like at some point, if you're a Christian, you had to place your faith in Jesus, right? Like you didn't just, well, you weren't born a Christian. No one made that decision. You placed your faith in Jesus. It did have a starting point. But understand your salvation is much more glorious than just one time in the past you prayed a prayer and you're done. Your salvation is actively in in your life working right now. The gospel is working. It's a present reality. So think about it this way. A lot of times uh, I've heard people illustrate salvation similar to this. Like you are in an ocean and you're drowning in the ocean and you're waving your hands and Jesus is going to come save you, right? And you use some cheesy illustration like he's a lifeboat or a life preserver, That's weird. But he jumps in, right? He saves you. He pulls you out of the water. Well, let me correct that and then also show you what Paul's doing here. First, you weren't waving your hands, all right? Like you weren't in the water saying, Jesus, help me. You were dead, right? The Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were at the bottom of the ocean, dead, lifeless. And Jesus, in his mercy, in his grace, jumped into the water, took upon himself your sin, and gave you life and gave you breath. And he picked you up out of that water and took you above the water, and now you are secure with him, and you have life, and you're in relationship with him, right? Now, a lot of times, that's where we stop. We go, that's my salvation. Jesus saved me. But here's what Paul says. Your salvation is still active. The gospel is still active, because what Jesus did next is not just pull you out of the water so you can breathe. He puts you on his back and he is swimming through the waves. He is swimming through the water and he is taking you to the shores of eternity. And you're not there yet, right? You're going to be there one day. Your salvation will be complete one day in eternity. But right now you have been saved by Christ and he has you on his back and he's sending you through those waters because he is actively working in your life and saving you. And the gospel is working in your heart. And so, yes, you're secure with Christ. The moment you give your life to Jesus, you're secure. You're not getting out of that. That's a permanent thing. But your salvation is still active. The gospel is still active in your life. And I've seen the temptation, and I've seen this temptation in my own life, that we think the gospel is just a one-time thing in the past, right? Like we think, yeah, I prayed a prayer. I had this experience. And we leave the gospel in the past, and we think we graduated from the gospel, and we need to move on to other things. But hear me out. You don't graduate from the gospel. You don't accept the gospel and move on. You accept the gospel. And from that moment, you experience the gospel every single day as you walk with Jesus. You keep believing in Jesus. You keep trusting in Jesus. You keep repenting of your sin. You keep hoping in Christ. The gospel is still an active thing in your life. There's a pastor and author, J.D. Greer. He says it this way. Salvation is not a prayer you pray in a one-time ceremony and then move on from. Salvation is a posture of repentance and faith that you begin in a moment and maintain for the rest of your life. So think about your own life. Do you view the gospel as just something you experienced back whenever you came to faith? Or do you experience it as something right now? It's a present posture. It's, it's something you're hoping in right now, something you're believing in right now. 
it's still working in your life. And so Paul says, okay, the nature of the gospel is not just something back then. It's happening in your life right now. It's active. It's, it's causing you to follow Jesus, and you're still experiencing his work in your life. That's the nature. And Paul says you need to be reminded of that. Like you can forget that. You can drift from that. And so he wants to pull us back. But then Paul says, okay, there's some specific content in this gospel. This isn't just some message I made up. This isn't some message that we kind of throw together. There is some specific content of this gospel we need to be reminded of. And this is how he continues in verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So Paul here, he's saying, okay, there's some specific content in the gospel. The gospel message has some specific things. But before he gets into that, you might have noticed he uses a phrase. He says, the gospel is of first importance. And what Paul wants the Corinthian Christians to know, what he wants us to know, is the most important message that he could ever bring, right? The most important thing he could ever teach, the most important thing he could remind them of is the gospel. He's covered a lot of other things, but he says, at the end of the day, the thing that I'm bringing you back to, the thing that's most important is the gospel. And so let's think about our own lives for a second here. What's most important to us? And I know you're like, well, we're in church and you just told me the gospel. So it's Jesus. Don't say that, right? Don't lie. Let's be honest. Like, what's really most important in your life? And if you need help, think about where you spend your money. Think about where you spend your time. Think about where your thoughts go. And let's see what's most important. For some of us, it's our family. That we think our family is the most important thing. And if you have kids, kids are most, that is the most important thing. There is nothing you won't do for your kids, right? But that's not the gospel. They're important, but they're not the first importance. Maybe it's not your kids. Maybe it's your job. Right? Maybe it's your job. Your, your job is a thing that you think about all the time, the thing you do all the time. I mean, it's your focus. And that's great you have a job, but it's not the gospel. It's not the most important thing. Maybe it's money. Right? Money drives you. You, you want to make more, save more, have enough. You want to spend money and have experiences. And money is the thing that's so important, the first importance in your life. Maybe it's your friends and relationships. Maybe it's your hobbies, right? Like you live to get on that golf course. You live to get out on that lake, right? You have a hobby, and that's the thing that's most important to you. And Paul says those things are great, but are they the gospel? Because that's the most important thing to us. That should be the thing that's of first importance. Now, we can do this in the church. It's not just personally, right? Like in the church, we can let a lot of other things be of first importance, and I know as a pastor, I'm guilty of this temptation. All of our staff is. It's easy to think other things are more important. You might have heard this, but a lot of times in the church world, we're motivated by the three Bs, butts, buildings, and budgets, right? And, and we think in the church, and we can, Redemption Chapel, we're not prone to this. Like, we can easily fall into this trap that we think, man, we got to get more people here. If we get more butts in the seats, that's the most important thing. So let's compromise the message to get more people here. Let's say certain things or don't say certain things to get more people here. And we're driven by this fact that we think the most important thing is getting people here and filling this worship center. But is that the gospel? No. What if it's buildings? We're like, oh, look at this great building we have. What if we added to it? What if we packed more programs and had more butts in the seat in this building? Look at how awesome it is. But is that preaching the gospel? Maybe not. 
Or maybe it's budgets, right? We think if we can just get people to give more, we can have a better budget, a bigger budget. We can do more things. Isn't that great? That's not preaching the gospel. That's the thing that should be most important. And I think I can speak for our pastoral team, and I want you to hear me very clearly, is this, is there is nothing more important at Redemption Chapel than the gospel. And if we ever make something more important than the gospel here, I beg you, leave, all right? Run, go find another church. The thing that's of first importance at this church and should be at any church in this world is the gospel. That's of first importance. Yay. Thank you for the amen, right? You should have said amen more than that. Come on. It's the gospel, people. But here's the thing. So, so Paul says it's of first importance, but then he says, I need you to understand, like this gospel that's so important, there's a specific, there's some specific content. Like there are some things in this gospel that you got to hold on to. And really what he does is he gives us kind of this summary of the gospel and he shows us what's the essential message of the gospel. What's the basics of the gospel? There's a lot of things we could say are gospel, but according to Paul, what is the gospel? And you might've caught it, but this is what he said, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised on the, and that he was raised on the third day accordance with the scriptures. And so he says, that's the gospel, nothing more, nothing less. Jesus died, he was buried and he rose again. That's the gospel. That's the most important thing. And there's a couple of things I want you to notice about that gospel. First is this, it's Jesus in our place, right? He started that by saying Jesus died for our sins. It's not that just Jesus died. He died for us in our place. You see, you and I had a sin debt, right? We came into this world as sinners, rebellious against God. And the penalty for that sin is death. That's what we should pay for our sin. But Jesus came and said, you know what? Let me die in your place. Let me die as your substitute. And my death will cover your sins, right? We call that the substitutionary atonement for a fancy theological word. Jesus is our substitute. His death pays for our sin. He stood in our place. That is the gospel. It's Jesus in our place, But then you might notice the second thing is this, is that Jesus did all the work, right? Notice in that passage, it doesn't say you died for your sins. I died for my sins or we were buried or we rose again. It said that Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again. There is nothing in the gospel. There is not one ounce of the gospel that you can claim as your own. Nothing. It is all Jesus. He did all the work. And so it's all him. And that leads me to another thing I notice is this. It's Jesus plus nothing, right? We don't see in this, we don't see, hey, Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again. Now go to church every Sunday. Don't cuss, right? Don't smoke. Like, do these things. Don't do these things. Read your Bible every day. Dress a certain way. He doesn't say it's Jesus plus something else. He says it's Jesus, period. He did it all. It's all about him. And this is where religion hijacks the gospel, right? Because we think, man, it's too simple. It's too simple that it's just Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, Really? And so we think there's got to be more. There's got to be religion. There's got to be ritual. There's got to be tradition. And the Bible and Paul says, nope, the essential message of the gospel is Jesus plus nothing, right? But then there's also this other thing you might notice is it's always been the plan. He uses the phrase in this passage. He says, in accordance with the scriptures. And Paul is pointing back to the Old Testament scriptures. And he says, throughout history, the plan has always been Jesus dying for us. The plan has always been Jesus being buried. The plan has always been Jesus rising again. The plan has always been the gospel. It's not that God tried a bunch of things in the Old Testament. They didn't work. And he's like, oh, crap, I got to send Jesus to die. It's not how it worked. 
From the very beginning, from eternity past, the gospel has always been plan A, right? And if you read the Bible, right, if you read the Bible cover to cover, let's say you do a Bible in a year one day, right? When you read that Bible throughout the year, you're going to find one story and one story only, and that's the gospel. It's Jesus being the Savior, Jesus being the hero, God redeeming humanity through the work of Christ. It's always been the plan. And then the last thing you notice about the gospel is this. It's about a resurrected Jesus, right? It says Jesus died and he was buried, and then what? He rose again. If Jesus simply died and was buried, we're screwed. Man, we're, we're without hope. If all he did was die, he's just another good prophet that taught us some good things, and we have to figure out this thing on our own. But that's not the gospel, right? It's the fact that he died, he was buried, and what? He rose again. And because he rose again, he earned our salvation. He claimed our salvation. He says, I'm God, and one day I will resurrect your bodies just like I've been resurrected. You can hope in that. And so I want you to know, man, the gospel is not about some dead Jesus who taught you some things. This is about a God who is alive and rose again, and he's working in your life right now. It is about a resurrected Lord. And that's the gospel you and I have and we claim and believe. And so Paul says, okay, that's the gospel. That's what you got to hold on to. That's what you need to be reminded of. It's Jesus's death, burial, resurrection, nothing more, nothing less, less. That is the gospel. But Paul wants to end this passage by saying, okay, if you believe this gospel, if this gospel has came into your life, you better believe it's going to impact the way you live. It's going to change who you are. It's going to have some effects in your life. And so he's going to use himself as an example to show us some of the effects of the gospel. And this is how he continues in verse 9. He says, For I am least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So Paul is using himself in his example, and he's saying, okay, look at my life, and let me show you what the gospel should do in your heart, in your life, right? And this isn't like the only thing the gospel does. He's just using himself, and he wants to point out a few things, and I want to point those out to you, and this is what it is. The gospel first produces humility. The gospel produces humility. Listen to how Paul talked about himself. Let me remind you what he said. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Right? That is how a humble person speaks about himself. That is not a prideful man, right? That's not saying, look at me, look at what I did. I'm the best apostle ever. He says, man, look at me. I'm jacked up. I'm a sinner. Look at my past. But it's all by the grace of God. He was humble. And Paul could have been boastful. Like, think about everything that Paul did, right? God changed his life radically. He went from a persecutor of the church to this missionary who planted churches. He wrote letters. Like, we're studying one of those letters thousands and thousands of years later. God used him, and he did amazing things. But he didn't let it go to his head. He didn't get, let his ego grow. He said, you know what? I'm simply a man saved by grace, and it's all by the grace of God. And the same goes for you and I. When we think about the gospel that we've been saved by, as we think about this gospel we experience every single day, I hope it makes you more humble. I hope it makes me more humble. Because humility is the mark of a Christian who understands God is holy, God is good, God is gracious, and he saved me and redeemed me, and I am nothing without him. I'm a broken, sinner, jacked-up mess, and it's only by the grace of God I am what I am. 
That's the humility the gospel should bring. But then Paul also says the gospel should bring good works. Right? He, he boasts a little bit. This is kind of weird because he goes from like, I'm humble to like, I'm the best apostle ever. Not sure how he made that swing. But here's the thing. He says, man, I've worked hard. And, and we can argue that was probably true, that Paul was a workhorse. Like this dude, when he came to faith, he worked his tail off for the kingdom of God. He gave everything that he had to the kingdom of God. But notice what Paul didn't do. He didn't say, hey, look at everything I did. Look how awesome I am. And look at the grace of God I earned because of that. Instead, he says, look at the grace of God, look at what it's done to my life, and now look at the things I've done because of the grace of God. See, he's saying, I didn't earn the grace of God by working really hard. He says, I work really hard because I've experienced the grace of God, and I'm motivated, and I'm passionate, and I'm in love with that gospel that saved me, and that grace is what I'm living in light of. And so hear me out. This is a, you need to get that. This is a phrase I want us all to get, is good works don't earn us the grace of God but good works do flow from and show that we have experienced the grace of God, right? Good works is not going to earn you the grace of God. If you're here this morning and you're like, you're trying to work your way into the grace of God, good luck. Like you're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. But what can happen is we can experience the grace of God. And because we've experienced the grace of God, we can go out and do good works, not to earn it, but because we have God's grace and because we want to respond to that grace and that grace is working in us to motivate us and strengthen us. So it produces good works. But then also, this is the last thing I want you to see, is the gospel produces a love for the message over the messenger. Let me remind you of how Paul ended this passage. He says something very profound. I think we need to catch it. He says, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Right? Notice Paul, he's saying, you know what? I don't care about the messenger. He's like, I don't care if it was me. I don't care if it was another apostle. I don't care who preached the gospel. He says, the only thing I'm concerned about, the thing that I, I care most about is the message itself, is the gospel. He says, I don't care who preached it. I'm just glad you heard it and you believed it. That's his heart is the message, not the messenger. And just think about how different this is in our culture right now. Like, right, like in the Christian cultural world, like world, like we have this evangelical culture where we just love the celebrity pastor, right? Like we put celebrity pastors up on a pedestal and we're like, look at their big churches and they have a podcast that we listen to and look at all the things they do. And we just put these guys and these people up on a pedestal and the focus is the messenger, but not the message, right? The message is in the background. And Paul says, if you love the gospel, if the gospel is going deep in your life, what you don't love is a messenger. You love the message that the messenger brings because the, importance, and the important thing is the gospel, not the messenger. And that makes me think about how we try, we attempt here at Redemption Chapel to do a few things. You notice every Sunday before we preach, what do we do? We pray, right? And we don't pray just because it's a fancy little transition time and we need the band to get off the stage. Like we pray because we really want God to speak because we realize it is not about the pastor on the stage, right? We are not about the celebrity culture. It's not about us. It's about the gospel we preach. And so we pray to set our minds on the message, not the messenger. And this makes me also think about our church values. If you've never seen our church values, you can go to our website and you can see them. But the very first value we have as a church is this. And let me read it to you. It says, we are in awe of Jesus. Jesus is our Lord, Savior, and King. He is breathtaking. He is the only focus, the only celebrity, the only big deal. We love him and his kingdom, which is way bigger than our little church because we don't have a monopoly on Jesus. 
right? I, I pray, I hope that at Redemption Chapel, we are a people who we love the gospel. We love what Jesus is doing. We don't fall in love with the celebrity. We don't fall in love with the pastor. We don't fall in love with the messenger. We fall in love with the gospel. That is our value. He's the only celebrity. He's the only big deal. It's not about Redemption Chapel. We're just one of a thousand churches God is using, right? Millions, billions of churches. It's about his church, his kingdom, his message, not us. And and Paul says that is part of the gospel work in your life is you love the message, not the messenger. And so really what Paul has done in this passage is he's just pointed us back to the gospel. He says, you know what? I'm going to talk about the resurrection. I'm going to talk about your bodily resurrection one day. That's all coming in chapter 15 later. But these 11 verses, he says, let me just remind you of the gospel, the simple gospel that you believe that saved your soul, that you are experiencing right now, the gospel that's at work in your life, the gospel that is producing things in your life. He just wants to point us back to that. And so what we're going to do here in a minute, we're going to respond by singing a song, and it's called The Simple Gospel, and it reminds us of that, the simple gospel, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, what he did for us. But here's what I want to do before we stand and respond. I want to talk to two groups, because there's always two groups of people in a room like this. There are some of you that you've never experienced this gospel. You've never received it. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've heard people talk, but you've never truly placed your faith in Christ. And this whole gospel talk, you're like, I've never heard it, but I think I need that. And if that's you, here's what I want to encourage you to do. In a minute when we sing, I want you to use this moment to call out in faith. And I want you to use this moment to respond to the simple gospel. And I believe it. I, I, I pray it happened in the first service. I pray it happens now. I pray that there are some of you that you go from life to death in this moment as you embrace the simple gospel for the very first time. Now, there's some of you, and I'm in this boat with you, we've, we've received the gospel, right? We, we're Christians. We've placed our faith in Jesus. But let me just say, and, and I don't know if you feel it, but I know I feel it, right? Like, I desperately need the gospel still. Like, I need to be reminded of the gospel, right? Like, I don't know what you're going through, but I know in my life, man, I need to be reminded of the gospel. I don't need to be reminded of anything else other than what saved my soul. I need to be reminded of that over and over and over And so I don't know if you drifted. I don't know if there's other things clogging your view. But man, today when we sing, will you remind yourself of the gospel? Will you let that gospel wash over you fresh again and be reminded of what God has done and is doing in your life? That's my prayer for me, for you. And so with that, let's stand and let me pray as we respond together in worship. Father, I do pray. I pray for my own heart. I pray for the hearts of my brothers and sisters in this room Man, that we would be reminded of the gospel, the most important thing in our lives, God. And I don't know what's going on in this room with other people. God, I only know my own life, but I know, man, I need that gospel. I'm, I need to be reminded. God, I, there's so many other things in, the, in my life that can get my attention. But man, this morning, I need to be focused back on the gospel. I pray we would all do that. And I pray for anyone in this room that they've never experienced the gospel. Lord, I pray that these next few minutes would not just be another song they stand and they sing and they don't really mean it. God, I pray that this moment for people in this room, some people in this room would be a moment where they truly embrace the gospel for the first time, that they pass from death into life as they receive your good news of your death, burial, and resurrection and save souls and keep saving our souls. God, we love you in Christ's name. Amen.